The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the first Doctor story, The Chase. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Sika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, when you get a chance, uh, we would greatly appreciate it if you write an Apple podcast review of the show and share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community that we've gathered here for nigh on a decade ne- nearly and uh, help us reach more listeners. We we always have new Doctor Who fans out there and they will love to hear about uh, the things we're talking about with Doctor Who. So check it out and let people know. We're going to have some listener feedback at the end of the episode and you're going to be sure to want to hear that. It's uh, some great feedback from you, our listeners. And I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called Raising the Bets. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. So we are talking about this first Doctor story, The Chase. It's six parts. Uh, this is a second season, end of the mm-hmm. second season of the Doctor Who, uh, overall of Doctor Who and the first Doctor. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this the first Doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Vicky are having a fun time playing with a time television on the TARDIS, but then they land on a desert planet with two sons. While they're on Tatooine, they learn <laughs> that the Daleks are coming to get them, but they get caught up in a conflict between the local sand-dwelling fish people and their carnivorous underground octopus enemies. The fish people were about to hand them over to the Daleks, but they use the chaos to escape, get into the TARDIS, and flee. They go to a variety of locations in time and space, but the Daleks always follow them. First, they go to the top of the Empire State Building in New York in 1966. Then they go to the sailing ship Marie Celeste in 1872, where the Daleks frighten the crew into jumping overboard, leading to its mysterious abandonment. Then they go to a haunted house in 1996, complete with robots of monsters including Frankenstein and Dracula. And finally, they go to the planet Mechanus in our future. Vicky is accidentally left behind at the haunted house, but she stows away aboard the Dalek timeship and is reunited with the gang when they get to Mechanus. On Mechanus, the Daleks try using a robot double of the Doctor to infiltrate and kill the group, but it doesn't work. They also are taken prisoner by the Mechanoids, a group of robots that look like giant Christmas tree ornaments. <laughs> the Mechanoids put them on display in a zoo, along with a human space pilot named Stephen Taylor. But the Daleks and the Mechanoids end up fighting, and the Mechanoid city is destroyed by a, do- a device the Doctor has built. Afterwards, Ian and Barbara decide to use the Dalek time machine to go back to Earth, they arrive in 1965, just two years after they left Coal Hill School in Episode 1, An Unearthly Child. And the Doctor and Vicky see that they're okay on the time television. The end. There is so much going on in this <laughs> six-part story. <laughs> it's a six-parter, but it moves. It's a six-parter, but it moves. Yeah. Well, it feels like it feels like they just, like, it's technically six parts. Because it's, 
it, what it does, it feels like a modern see, uh, season, like the, the, mm-hmm. the one we just got done with, where it's a What's bunch the of flocks. <laughs> the flux, yeah. right. It's a bunch of stories connected by an arc, and that's what we have. So it's kind of funny. The, the This was really the first arc in that sense, the way they do it today. Actually, it, well, it's we did have a previous one, which was the Keys of Marinus. Mm. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they went to different places within that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Um, so couple couple other notes about this story. Yeah. Um, this was the first Dalek time travel story. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it was because of this that the Daleks gained um gained the ability to travel in time, and that gave us the time war and all kinds of things like that. Also, uh, it's the first use of uh of a Dalek script where they say exterminate. Mm. Um, pre as a as a battle cry. Previously, they had used extermination, but now it's exterminate. Oh. Yep. And also, this was going to be the basis of the third Peter Cushing Doctor Who movie from the sixties, mm. but they didn't end up making it. What they had done was uh taken longer stories that involved the Daleks who were super popular at the time. It was called Dalek Mania. But they would take longer stories like the original Dalek serial and the Dalek Invasion of Earth and turn them into movies starring Peter Cushing. And this was the third such story. So it was planned to do that with this, but it didn't end up happening. Uh, Okay. I I didn't know that Exterminate was the, uh, this was the first time I didn't notice that. Um, So one, one, Interesting thing about this, this now, if you're, depending on how you watch this originally, um, this episode has been copyright struck by the Beatles mm-hmm. because if you, as it was originally aired, um, when they're watching the time television, you see Abraham Lincoln giving the Gettysburg, Gettysburg Address, you see uh, Shakespeare at Queen Elizabeth I, and then Vicky asks for ancient Earth music, the Beatles. The BBC reused a broadcast of the Beatles playing Ticket to Ride in this, because this is when the Beatles was, again, you know, getting just popular. I mean, just Beatlemania was just starting at this point. Dalekmania was ending and Beatlemania was starting at this point. <laughs> um, and so I have a, a VCR two, two tape collection that has The Chase and then uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, the Seventh Doctor story. And that has the original Beatles broadcast in it. Oh. But mm-hmm. if you've watched it on a DVD produced after, I think it was 2005, 2006, or uh, on BritBox, as I did this time, it's not in there because, of course, the Beatles are enforcing their copyright on that. However, it, it depends on the region. If you see it in region two, it still, can, has, yeah. it still has the Beatles. But if you watch it in region one here in America, you don't get yep. to see the Beatles. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of an interesting thing about this, you know, with all the story of missing Doctor Who stories you know all you know all these stories that have been recovered and everything that clip of the beatles is the only one that remains from that broadcast of the beatles because it was featured in doctor who right right so, so it was actually saved by doctor who a lost version that's that lost again to the rest of us but every you know uh, it still exists in at least in a uh, some archival form yeah, yeah. But they just clipped they, that whole part out you know a whole part of even vicky asking to see it yeah they, there's also a behind-the-scenes thing with that clip that's interesting, which is um, originally the plan was it was going to be the Beatles, but it was going to be 
uh, footage of them in the 21st century mm-hmm. performing as old men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the Rolling Stones, basically. Yeah, something <laughs> yeah. like that. But um, their manager said no. Uh, but I think it would have been a lot of fun to see mm-hmm. John, Paul, George, and Ringo dressed up as old men performing in the 21st century. <laughs> yes, that would have been <laughs> funny. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of it's it's. I mean, that's kind of shows you the like sort of the wackiness of this story to end this second season. Um, so much going on. I mean, just we also didn't mention that this is Ian and Barbara's departure. Well, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it at the end of your synopsis, but we I wanted to kind of mm-hmm. highlight that this is Ian and Barbara's departure. This is the second companion departure from the story mm-hmm. and the first complete turnover of companions in Doctor Who uh, and the introduction of new companion, Stephen, who will be with the Doctor and Vicky starting next season. So, Yeah, although he's not officially a companion yet, we just saw that he survived at the end of this one. But right. he stowed away, he, he, next episode, we'll find out he stowed away on the TARDIS. Yes. I, I wanted to comment on a little bit more on the time television. Um, it sounds like an interesting idea, but when you see it in practice, it's like, okay, this is kind of redundant on a time travel show. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, normally I'm watching people going to other times, but when they're using the time television, I'm watching people watching people <laughs> in other times. And it's not as much fun as watching them interact with those people. So it's it's kind of redundant. Also, the scientific explanation of how this thing works is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, We're told that the time television or space-time visualizer converts neutrons of light. It's like, whoa, okay, do you know what you just said? Um, It converts neutrons of light into electrical impulses. And it's like, wow, <laughs> there's not a single part of that sentence that's correct. Um, and, and then they make it worse uh, by saying that mass is absorbed by light. Therefore, light has mass. Okay. Um, so <laughs> insert, insert um, meme of Luke Skywalker saying everything you've just said is wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so according to the theory of general relativity, um, nothing with mass can travel at the speed of light. Um, it, it, it requires only massless particles can travel at the speed of light. And therefore, Light does not absorb mass, and light does not have mass. It is made mm-hmm. of massless particles called photons. Photons are not neutrons. Um, neutrons aren't—you don't have electrical energy flowing. I mean, okay, photons <laughs> are electrical energy, electromagnetic energy of mm-hmm. a kind. Um, you can also have electrical fields set up you know, with moving electrons and things like that. But um, neutrons don't do this stuff, uh, at least typically. I mean, there's kind of a way, but wow, there's just so much wrong here. <laughs> well, maybe those, those light photons must be the thing that John Pertwee keeps trying to reverse. The flow right. of them must be what he's trying to reverse is the light photon or well, but neutrons. Then, but not even light photons. He's, they're saying neutrons. Neutrons, neutrons that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing that, that's kind of weird. Uh, did they have? Did they know of neutrinos at this point in '65? No, yeah, they, so they, it had not been verified. Okay, so that's not even like, like we get neutrinos wrong. It's just uh, let's just make something up. <laughs> obviously, they didn't have a science advisor on on Doctor Who. You know, they they didn't have right. a 
the Akudas or like Doctor Who had or somebody or that Star Trek had, you know. Yeah. Well, what's funny is is that this was part of the, the, the brief for Doctor Who for the BBC, right? That it was a show that was about history and science and kids could be could learn from it. Of course, when you're peddling nonsense <laughs> instead of actual mm-hmm. science, that's that's the that's a problem. Um so I, I like the fact it, it's kind of interesting. They 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 want to test it. So Ian gives the doctor uh nineteenth of November, eighteen sixty three. Pennsylvania, like mm-hmm. all of Pennsylvania, as a place to look. Nothing more specific than that. And that's, we get perhaps the only significant thing that happened in Pennsylvania on that date, which is Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. So we get that. Yeah, nothing else happened in Pennsylvania on that date, apparently. <laughs> uh, Barbara picks Queen Elizabeth I, and we get uh, William Shakespeare talking about Falstaff. And then there's the other the, fellow. The origin of a couple of his plays. Right. Yep. There's sort of a little background on that is that other fellow, oh, which the name escapes me off the top of my head, Bacon. but I didn't write it down, uh, is, yeah, Francis Bacon. Some people think that he um, w- was one of a pseudonym, pseudonym that uh, he, he wrote some of Shakespeare's plays. Of Shakespeare's plays. Yeah, yeah. And so they're kind of winking at that um, with, with yeah. Shakespeare picking up the idea for Hamlet. I, I did kind of laugh. Um, I. Lincoln sounds a lot like Johnny Cash. Sounds and looks a lot like Johnny Cash from that time. <laughs> that's that's funny. <laughs> so, but but we don't go anywhere with those. They're just kind of these interludes where we spend valuable screen time. Just this interlude this, of this historical of people. This was just isn't this cool technology? And oh, by the way, this technology actually has a practical application because now it lets us know that the Daleks are chasing us in their time machine. Right. Right. It also lets them know that Ian and Barbara are okay at the end, although there are other ways they could have done yep. that. Yeah. Uh, interesting, too, that, uh, as you mentioned, Jimmy, the the similarities between this first planet they land on, Iridius, uh, and Tatooine from Star Wars, including Binary Sun, formerly covered in water that dr- dried up, which is, we've learned about that in uh, the Book of Boba Fett, that the Dune Sea was literally a sea at one point. And you have these people's, who were formerly maritime people surviving in the desert. And that's actually what the, the, the sand people are, the Tuscan Raiders in Star Wars are. So it's kind of funny that to see that this, you know, coming up decades before. Uh, Doctor Who used the TARDIS to steal from Star Wars. Must be it. Must be it. Um, the, the Terry Nation. The, so Terry Nation wrote this. He's the creator of the Daleks. And, um, the planet names are a little on the nose in this. <laughs> you mean, we've got the arid planet, and it's called Eridus. And then we have the the mechanoid planet, and it's called Mechanus. And yep. it's like, wow. <laughs> um, not really creative with these names, are we? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, and Mechanus is the only one that I think you could actually say, okay, it was named that after the Earth after Earth had sent these robots there and they pot, the robots took over the planet, okay, it's the mechanical planet, so it's Mechanus. You know, that yeah. one, there was neat, you know, you could, you could headcanon that one. But yeah, Eridus for a planet that was previously underwater. They should have just called it Cybertron, but uh, that, I guess it's taken. <laughs> uh, so, the, when they're, so the Daleks are coming for the TARDIS. They're, they've found mm-hmm. a way to, to track the TARDIS, um, and they're coming to Eridus. And meanwhile, uh, they are. I, I, I like I like what summons Barbara and the Doctor back to the TARDIS to see the um, the fact on the time television that the Daleks are coming for them. They're they're sunbathing out outside, and yeah. 
and there's this high-pitched whine that the time television makes. And the doctor has been singing, and Barbara says, what is that awful noise? Yeah. And she and he says, that's no way to talk about my singing. And she says, not that awful noise, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> she does not dispute. She does not change. The, well, that, yeah, no, that's an awful noise, too. <laughs> so, the uh, yes, the Daleks are coming. Ian and Vicky have, of course, wandered off, uh, and uh, they find a it looks like a key in the sand that opens the thing and they find an underground city that the Iridians are living in. And they have these Mire beasts that are basically going to make the octopuses. Yeah. They're going to make the Iridians extinct. They're basically encroaching on them and the Iridians have no, they're, they're helpless against the octopus creatures. And, uh, and so when the Daleks show up, there's this really fun thing where the, like a Dalek basically it, 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 rises out of the sand for some reason. Yeah. Also, their time machine, like the TARDIS, is bigger on the inside. They make a big point of showing us all these Daleks going into it yes. that couldn't possibly fit into it. Mm. Uh, what was it that the, uh, the the Doctor Who transcript site made a reference? Like It was like a the funhouse ride at the amusement yeah. park where like, you see them rolling in like the cars on a funhouse ride. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what it looked like, them, them all going in there. Um, and so they, the Iridians... At first, befriend the Doctor and companions, but when the Daleks show up, they threaten the Iridians, like, either turn the Doctor over or we're going to kill you all. And so the Iridians just cave, basically, and they're going to mm -hmm. turn over the Doctor and, 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 and the others. Um, well, the, the Doctor's attitude towards this is pretty reasonable. Um, it's like, okay, I'm not going to force my trouble on you, so, you know, I understand you turning me over and I'll have to deal with it another way. Yeah. Yep. What's also interesting is is that when the Meyer beasts attack in the middle of this whole handover thing, Barbara, even though the Iridians were going to, you know, turn her over to be killed, she almost sacrifices herself trying to save one of the Iridians who was, you know, who, who was being attacked by a Meyer beast. I mean, it's kind of remarkable. It shows the the character of, of Barbara and Ian too, uh, as they in the midst of this, they they don't they they still. Have compassion and want to do good with these people. They also have a bit of technology in this that that I don't recall us seeing again because it's too useful. The yeah. doctor has a TARDIS magnet that he gives to Ian to allow Ian to find the TARDIS. So he yeah. can wander off and still come back to it in this desert landscape. And they they kind of hamstring that a little bit in in this serial already and they don't use it in the future and it's like that ought to be standard technology <laughs> yes. yeah and have more than one of them because with yeah. the doctor yeah. gives it away and they gets he and barbara get lost in the middle of the, a sandstorm and like you know in the desert when sandstorm blows through the environment completely changes they are completely mm -hmm. lost um well, yeah, yeah the doctor is you know should have his you know regular routine when he leaves the tardis sonic screwdriver tardis magnet yeah <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah, that that would have changed so many stories over the years. Uh, so the Daleks have found the TARDIS and they're guarding it, waiting for the Doctor uh, to come back. Uh, so what they do is they lure the tiger, the the Dalek into a tar tiger trap, essentially, uh, you know, a pit that mm -hmm. you know, a disguised pit, and that, that's how they get away with the Dalek assassination crew in tow. I mean, that, that's what they are. That's like we were told at the beginning that this is a special assassination team from the Daleks uh, hunting mm. down the Doctor. 
um, and they're chasing him through time. So that, remember, the TARDIS is the Doctor can't control at this point where the TARDIS goes. It's on. It's kind of going on its own. The Daleks, and their they time machine, about, they, can, they can control. Yeah, and they talk about the fact that um, they've never fixed the element of the TARDIS that would allow them to control it. And they could take the time to do that now, except that the Daleks are chasing them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so they don't have they don't have time to do it because if they land somewhere to fix it, the Daleks will just show up and right. and they'll have to face them. And the doctor also says at this point, it takes 12 minutes after landing for the TARDIS computers to reorient and recharge before they can take off again. Is is that ever come up again later? Or does, they, does he fix that? No, I, I don't recall that coming up again in the future. Yeah, but it creates that tension because at first the Daleks are, you know, what do you say, 15 minutes behind, but they're catching up. And so yeah. the, we get to a point where finally they land before the TARDIS can take off again. Yeah, actually, I was just thinking the, the the end of the War Machines where the doctor, second doctor is trying to run away from the, the uh, Time Lords. He's doing the materialize, dematerialize, move, bounce, 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 and there's no 12-minute wait between right. the, the War Games, yeah. War, war games, games, War Games, yeah. yeah. Not War Machines, War Games. War Machines is another move, another one. That's First, first doctor. doctor, yeah. Right. Yep. That's like the the, uh, the Millennium Falcon at the beginning of The Last Jedi where they're hyperspacing, hyperjumping, boom, 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 uh, yep. one place after another. So the next stop is, as you mentioned, Jimmy, New York City, top of the Empire State Building, where Columbo is giving a tour to some tourists. <laughs> <laughs> did, it even, did it remind you of Peter Falk and all the, the, tour, the tour guide? I mean, the I accent. That worst New York accent ever. <laughs> it was so funny. He sounded like Peter Falk. It was, just, it was awesome. Um, and a little higher pitched, but yeah, I yeah. can see it. Yeah. <laughs> the, and uh, there's a there's a one of the tour is this guy this guy from Alabama who stays behind. This and is that Peter is Pur- Peter Purvis, yeah, right. Yep. Who will who be, be Stephen, right? Who will be Stephen Taylor? So he he appears in like part three of this, and then again mm-hmm. in part at the end of part four, and he's in part five. And so he had a couple of weeks off, so to distinguish himself from himself. He just let his beard grow for a couple of weeks and came back in as, as Stephen Taylor. Right, right. And so we have this comedic scene of the, the the hayseed from Alabama, the big city for the first time, encountering first the Doctor and companions who show up out of thin air, and then the Daleks who show up out of thin air. And he's he's clearly meant to be the comedy relief yokel, and mm-hmm. and he it, it's a little it's not entirely to my taste although i do like one line that he gets early on when barbara comes out of the tardis and she's first making contact with him and she and she says you're from earth and he says no ma'am i'm from alabama (laughs) 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 and he thinks it's a hollywood trick which is fun because 1965 there's no cgi there's no like all the every hollywood trick was a practical effect of some sort or another Mm -hmm. And he assumes after after he after the Dalek time ship has disappeared that that's what's happened that it's a practical effect. He he starts banging on the on the floor of the level he's on, thinking it's hollow, and they must have taken the time ship down through the floor. Mm. Yes, yeah. Um, one of the things that's interesting about this is at no point are the Daleks just massacring people like in modern Who the Daleks would just like on Iridius they're shooting the Iridians pretty readily Mm -hmm. but on the top of the empire state building you know um what's the other um the mary celeste the mary celeste they're not shooting anyone 
they're just showing up and kind of talking to people, which is kind of out of character from what we know. Well, yeah. they're on a special assassination mission. They're looking for the doctor and his group. So why unnecessarily kill other people if you can talk to them and get information out of them about mm-hmm. the targets you're after? Right, right. And then have uh, their exterminate fun later. Yeah. So then we get to, uh, they take off, they take off again. They land on uh, an, in a, a 19th a toy century. Boat. They yeah, land um, on a toy boat in, <laughs> in a sink. <laughs> yes. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, American sailing ship, the Mary Celeste, which is a mysterious disappearance uh, thing, which I'm sure is oh, on yeah. the list. Yes, it's on the list yeah. for the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Um, Vicky, so uh, Barbara is seen because Barbara loves sailing ships. Another reason I love Barbara. Uh, Barbara loves sailing ships and just wants to see the, the ship at sea. And uh, she gets found by one of the sailors, which uh, this ship is strangely nobody on deck for some reason mm-hmm. <laughs> sailing the ship. Uh, but one of the sailors finds her and thinks she's a stowaway. And so Vicky sneaks up and gives the, uh, the sailor a concussion. It's very dangerous. Don't bonk people in the head with rolling pins or in this case, a belaying pin. Uh, it's, it's a bad idea. Uh, and then when Ian shows up, she gives him a concussion, too, uh, for some reason. So, I, I you know. <laughs> like like the scene on the Empire State Building, this sequence is play and really now Eridus is not and Mechanus is not, but these intervening places, mm-hmm. yeah. the the top of the Empire State Building, the Mary Celeste and the Haunted House, they're all played for comedy. Yes. And um and how well that succeeds for you is up to you, but they're meant to be comedic. So Vicky KOs the the sailor that was harassing uh, barbara and then she ko's ian yeah you know and that's supposed to be funny and then after the after they get off the ship with the tardis the daleks beam on board with their time machine and the sailors are so frightened by the daleks that everyone leaps off the ship and this is the explanation for why the mary celeste was found with nobody on board uh having apparently been suddenly abandoned and um so the explanation they're giving us is it's because of the daleks but it's the sequence is played for laughs um and you have you know a single dalek or a couple of daleks on board uh the ship and people are just screaming and running away from them and jumping overboard and it's like why are the sailors so afraid of the daleks you know they're not (laughs) menacing they're not killing but the there is an explanation in there towards the beginning of of this sequence the sailors identify a dalek as the barbary terror also known as the white terror mm-hmm. which was a supernatural folkloric creature and so that's why they're um that's why they're afraid of it and why they're jumping overboard right right um also a dalek falls overboard yeah uh, loses control that- you're just losing control and goes over. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. Uh, so the when the Daleks also leave, uh, we get lots of images of the. They spend quite a bit of time with showing us the empty ship, and this is when they reveal the name Mary Celeste. And so, an mm-hmm. audience of this era might recognize the name as the legendary ship. We didn't know the name before this point. And one, one thing I want to comment on is, you know, of course, this is watching a show again from the '60s, but the quality of the film how it you know it translates to modern television because i can imagine you know you could see the plaque of the mary celeste on the on the by the steersman and 
But I can imagine on the old TVs, you couldn't see it at all because it would have been too blurry. Or small. But on yeah. a modern TV, you could see it very clearly throughout before they had to zoom in on it so that you could actually read it on the old TVs. And it always impresses me how, you know, we talk about high quality and, you know, 4K and all that. And what old film could do compared to modern technology is actually pr- really impressive. Right. Yeah. They also have Ian drop the name after they've left it just just mm-hmm. to make sure the audience gets the point. Yes. Yep. So next up is a creepy mansion where, uh, it, just like in every TV show and movie, uh, every time it rains, there is thunder and lightning, unlike mm-hmm. in the real world. Uh, it's a creepy mansion, that, that and uh, uh, Vicky and Barbara are, are creeped out, and so is Ian. Uh, he's creeped out, but because the doctor has no fear, Ian has to show no fear, too, as, or at least as much as he can. And uh, well, again, played the, for the doc- laughs. Uh, and the doctor gets... Uh, gets frightened by frankenstein's monster you know right. and they discover so, this lab yep. yeah so they're in this house the fireplace has eyes um that are built into the architecture there are bats there's a skeleton there's a ghost there's a frankenstein and there's a dracula and the doctor thinks that um has this really weird theory about where mm-hmm. they are he doesn't realize they're in a physical location after they discover the monsters he thinks that they've landed inside the human mind and that this mm. is a this is a big tulpa it's a collection of thought forms generated by millions of people who believe in these monsters and so he he thinks that the tardis has landed on another psychological plane of existence which is <laughs> fascinating um and is is one of the more outside the box you know ways of using the TARDIS. Now, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. They're actually in a theme park, and this is Frankenstein's House of Horrors at something called the Festival of Ghana, which is in 1996. And it's But the house, the reason there's nobody else in the house, is that it, the exhibit has been canceled by Peking, which is the old name for Beijing, mm-hmm. China. So it's not clear to me why there's a Central European-themed house in a festival of the African nation of Ghana, apparently at, at, at being conducted in China. But, yes. um, but that's the story anyway. But I just love the fact that the doctor thinks they could land inside the human mind in like mm-hmm. Jung's collective unconscious or something. Um, I'd like to see them explore that. That is similar to something they do in the second Doctor's time where they use the TARDIS to land in the land of fiction mm. and and they go to a world where fiction is true. Interesting. Yep. Uh, the, the fine thing is uh, Frankenstein goes to town on the Daleks. He's, he's throwing yeah. them around yeah. uh, because their <laughs> weapons are ineffective because he's, he's, me- he's mechanical. He's a robot. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. I also like the fact that the ticket price in 1996 for the House of Horrors is ten dollars, which in 1965 probably seemed like a ridiculously like wow. In the future, things are ridiculously expensive, and I'm like they're going, yeah, that's pretty pretty for 1996. That's probably on target. <laughs> Today it would be like twenty five dollars. So now when they take off, they leave Vicky behind, uh, and they're accidentally like, I, they're accidentally. Yeah. It, although it's not, it wasn't initially clear to me that it was accidental. It's like, Doctor <laughs> just took off leaving Vicky, and 
Um, and then they make it clear that everybody thought Vicky was on board, but that was not initially clear to me. Yep. Well, they, they all ran on together. So like, <laughs> did you not like make sure she's behind you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. although I suppose that I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, how many times do they do the Scooby-Doo, you know, entering the TARDIS where literally they're all in a line and they just boom, boom, right in, you know? <laughs> right, right. And again, remembering they don't have control of where the TARDIS goes, so therefore they can't go back for her. And that's the that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Is, is even if they knew where you know where they left her, and they did, they can't go back and get her because the tar- the TARDIS is a one way trip for them. And so point. Ian comes up with the plan of let's capture the Dalek time machine, and then we can use the Dalek time machine that is controllable to go back mm-hmm. and find Vicky. Yes. And they adopt that plan, although what they don't know is that Vicky is hidden on the Dalek time machine because she did the obvious thing. Um, if, 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 if you've gotten separated from the TARDIS and you know the Daleks are chasing the TARDIS, well, stow away on board the Dalek yep. ship and it'll take you where you want to go. Right. Yeah. Um, and while she's on there, she sees that the Daleks are making a robot clone of the Doctor that in most shots does not look anything like William Hartnell. <laughs> not very much, anyway. I, uh, I wondered about this. I have in my notes, why aren't they using William Hartnell for the robot doctor in scenes where they aren't facing each other? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then when they do have the robot doctor face-to-face with William Hartnell, it's William Hartnell in both cases. So it's like, why do they have this other actor yeah. playing the robot do- doctor at all? Uh, and it turns out the reason is it's a thank you. Um, because, uh, because the actor who's playing the robot version of the doctor had previously filled in for William Hartnell, uh, mm-hmm. when Hartnell had to like bow out of the show for a week or something. And so they used this other guy as a double and this, they wrote him in here as a thank you for that. So they, yeah. they overuse this guy, although still for, for some close ups and for Hartnell's voice, they'll still have William Hartnell. Yep doing the voice work some some yep, but they exactly. still use this guy's voice for some of the voice work so yeah, yeah. it's, it's um, inconsistent yeah so they land on uh the planet mechanis mechanis it's mechanis mechanis yeah, <laughs> i don't know why i'm having trouble with that uh it's covered in living toadstools human sized mm-hmm. uh which is kind of funny uh carnivorous apparently uh yeah. yeah they're called fungoids they are afraid of light and they're tree-like creatures that are basically attack mushrooms <laughs> yes. I, i'm gonna think back in the 60s there are a number of people who had that uh experience uh, say, attack mushroom sounds like a 60s band <laughs> yes <laughs> so uh while ian and the doctor discover uh, well you know so they're running around they find a uh a, a quarter of light that keeps the toadstools out uh they find a cave they're gonna hole up in the cave and and do an alamo with the uh, uh the daleks uh but then they hear a scream they run out they discover an unconscious vicky so she's left the the dalek time machine and wandered out and been attacked by the toadstool so ian and the doctor find her the robo doctor shows up where barbara is and tells her that chesterton is dead like mm-hmm. wow okay that's uh, and so barbara is understandably upset uh but then when vicky comes to with the doctor and ian standing over she thinks it's the robo doctor and freaks out so we have this you know sort of comedy of errors this uh misunderstandings of who is who 
And I'll uh, get it. Uh, I, I didn't in, intend that pun, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take it. <laughs> um, so the, in, in the end, the doctor and the robo doctor have to battle it out for supremacy. Yeah. Although before that, Ian almost kills the true doctor with a big rock. Yep. Right. Right. He's got uh, this huge rock. He's going to crush William Hartnell's head. And only at the last minute is that averted. The yeah. doctor's remarkably ineffective in defending himself in the in the in, like in in saying I'm the real doctor. He's very, yeah. very poorly. <laughs> um, well, well he, they they even kind of threw a little uh, sneak on on the people watching because, of course, this is a serial, and this this episode of the serial is the death of Doctor Who. Yes, yes, is the name. It's the end of the season, so therefore we're canceling the show. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, um, and we told and, you this was going to be a six-parter, but it's really only a five-parter. Sorry. <laughs> and and if you want to now, William Hartnell, the doctor, attacks the robot doctor and rips some wiring out of the chest out of his chest, yeah. which destroys him. But if you want, you could um, assume that actually Doctor Who did die in this, and we've been following mm-hmm. the adventures of a regenerating robot all this time. Who ripped wiring <laughs> out of his own chest and then planted it on the on the biological doctor? I'm here for that. That's uh, that's there I'm, you go. I'm all in. <laughs> that's in some alternate universe that is Doctor Who. <laughs> that explains the Sixth Doctor a lot. Uh, so, <laughs> bad. So so bad was Chameleon really the Doctor then? <laughs> um, so after they defeat Robo Doctor and the Daleks are somewhere on this planet rolling around, they all lay down and take a nap, <laughs> which is. Not the best idea. And when they awake, they discover that it's daytime and they look outside and there's an elevated city above them. Who knew? Uh, now, the doctor decides that he's going to go out. To, the way to get past the Daleks and back to the TARDIS is for him to pretend to be the robot. Which and fails immediately. Like, <laughs> they totally know <laughs> that it's not the robot. Like, yeah. That, that well, they even have bad. the Daleks saying, we have lost, you know, we have lost contact with the robot, you know. Yes. The remote yes. control failed. So they are saved in, in that case by – it turns out that the, the cave they're in is actually the lobby of an elevator up to the elevated city. Uh, they're saved by a mechanoid. The, this door opens to the elevator, and he calls them to enter. Uh, if you want to know what the mechanoid looks like, if you've ever seen the Telstar 1 satellite, one of the early – the first mm. telecommunication satellite, looks exactly like that. <laughs> that was very funny. Or just think of a giant Christmas tree ornament. Yes. Uh, yep. yes. It's, a, it's a big ball. Basically. It is a big ball with pincer arms that that swing out. Yeah, um, and then they meet. In, in, incidentally, the uh, mechanoids, although they don't appear again on screen, they mm-hmm. they do become major foes for the Daleks in the comics and short stories of this period. Mm-hmm. Right. So they had a variety of appearances off screen in spinoff media where they and the Daleks would battle each other. Oh, fun. Um, well, there's also so, a, there was an animated uh, series as part of the whole um, Time Lord Victorious arc that they did uh, that the BBC did during lockdowns and stuff. Uh, they did a, a, a mini series called Daleks that was a uh, animated series, and the Mechan- mechanoids played a big part in that as well. Oh, fighting fun. against the Daleks! I missed that. I'll have to check that out. It's uh, on YouTube. Yeah, you can go and okay. it's worth watching. It's pretty good. So they, uh, the mechanoids immediately imprison them in the uh, jungle gym room, <laughs> and they meet Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. No, I'm just kidding. Taylor. His, yeah. Steven Taylor, uh, who's not of Aerosmith, and uh, he's 
previously crashed on the planet. He thinks that they've crashed too, and there's no reason, there's no way to escape until they reveal to him, no, no, we have a ship, we landed here. Um, and the way that they're going to escape is they have a 1,500 foot climb down, a cable uh. to climb down from this platform. I'm sorry, but I don't care. And I don't care if you're bare grills. You're not climbing down a 1500 foot cable. No, Vicky is understandably uh, frightened of this. She's acrophobic. She's the only yeah. sensible one. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you, know, you could probably get away with it if there were knots every once in a while where you could stop and rest for a little bit and kind of yes. get your strength back and then keep going. But this wasn't. This was a, a spool of cable. That's it's literally like a, all it was. It's a quarter mile. I mean, that's that's really yeah. high up. I mean, uh, at one point, uh, Barbara almost <laughs> steps over the over the edge. She almost falls mm-hmm. to her death. Uh, uh, no, it's like when Vicky they release Vicky. Uh, she, uh, she kind of falls, and so Barbara kind of goes over trying to save oh, her. I think it was. I think well, I think it was it Barbara or was it Ian that was like backing up and backing up, and all of a sudden, you know, he like his heels are right off the edge yes. type. Yes, that they uh, the mechanoids have followed the imperial. Star Wars uh, school of design with no railings. <laughs> we don't put railings nope. up. <laughs> um, you don't need it. They're robots. So they, 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 the mechanoids and the Daleks start go to war with each other, basically, and that's the cover for leaving. They, the, a fire starts, so the place is burning. And, and this is because of a device that the Doctor has made to destroy the Daleks, but it can't be used in a contained space. And so they mm-hmm. set it off aboard the elevated mechanoid city right uh and so in the midst of all this the fire the battling they're trying to climb down this immense cable steven is obsessed with getting his stuffed animal back (laughs) yeah he's got a little toy panda that's his mascot is named it hi-fi yeah and uh (laughs) so he's willing to risk death to go back for it uh in back into the fire um then and so our 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 crew gets back to the TARDIS uh, with the Daleks dead, their time machines available. And Ian and Barbara realize we can get home. This is, mm-hmm. this is our chance to go, to go home finally. And the doctor gets mad at them for suggesting it and for wanting to leave. Um, and we have a little bit of historical revisionism here where, because originally what happened is Ian and Barbara, you know, were investigating what was going on with Susan Foreman. They tracked her back mm-hmm. to to the Foreman junkyard. They they and they got inside the TARDIS, and then the Doctor kidnapped them. Yep. And the fact the Doctor kidnapped them is just omitted from this discussion. And he's talking about how Ian and Barbara thrust themselves upon the Doctor. <laughs> and it's like okay maybe they I, I mean i'd have to go back and check and see where they actually invited on the tardis or not mm-hmm. um but they were not they th- look dude you took off with them this <laughs> yeah. was against their will susan was telling you no don't do this right, right. you kidnapped these people yeah, it's not so much historical revisionism as it's the doctor's way of remembering it might be a better way <laughs> yeah, to put it, in my opinion, because they, they did force their way into the TARDIS. He did not want them to come into the TARDIS, but as soon as he unlocked it, they pushed their way in. But then he said, well, fine, you're here and took off. Yeah. You know, I can't let you I can't let you go back and let people know about this. The doctor has, took off. has a convenient memory often. I think that's very yeah. true. Um, Vicky, though, argues that um, the doctor should help. Ian and Barbara figure out how to pilot the Dalek ship so that they can get back. 
Yeah, and yeah. to juice the drama, the doctor tells them there are enormous risks to using the Dalek ship. And then he, he walks that back a little bit and says, well, even with my instructions, you only stand a 50-50 chance of getting back. Um, but they do. And they get back to 1965. They blow up the Dalek ship when they get back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're two years out from when they started. And they figure they're going to have to come up with an excuse for that. But we get a snapshot montage of them yes. goofing around London. Um, Weird. <laughs> yeah, but it shows they're happy in their home. And then we yep. cut to the TARDIS where Vicky and the doctor are watching them on the time television and see that they're okay. Yeah. yeah. One, one thing I love is, you know, Ian saying, I just want to go to the, go to the corner pub and have a pint of beer with my mates. You know, <laughs> he just wants to go have, go have a drink. <laughs> I want to, I want to know what their story was. Like Ian Chesterton and, and Bar, I don't know if I forget Barbara's last name. A run ran right. off together in yeah. some romantic tryst to another you know what i mean like i can imagine the stories that were being told about the two of them we were uh, kidnapped after, yeah, yeah right <laughs> but uh, just so, tell the truth we were kidnapped by this crazy old man and we've right. only just now gotten back <laughs> yeah exactly oh man uh so uh, and then uh that's where we end uh, without knowing that like you said Stephen is aboard the tardis uh stowed away kind of yeah. an interesting choice to to do that to not have um to not to not show him there uh as a cliffhanger to the next season they just they just kind of well, move I, on. I wonder if they had decided at that point yet that he was going to come on as the next companion if I that th- wasn't that decision was made between seasons i think they'd already decided because they after he goes back to get the teddy bear mm-hmm. um he it would, it's not really a teddy bear it's too small for that but after he goes back to get the little panda, um, that we have a scene where everyone's assuming he's dead. And then we have a scene where we see him escaping. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's clear he's still alive. And that inclusion of that additional scene of him escaping suggests to me that, yeah, this was planned. He was going to be the next companion. Yeah. Yeah. Just an interesting choice to, of how to, to leave it, uh, which is fine. It's interesting. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is the Time TV was something they picked up in the last story uh, mm-hmm. in the Morak Museum in uh, the Space Museum. So that, that was it, it's been a while since we uh, talked about that. So it's kind of closed that loop on that. Uh, Father Corey, any uh, final thoughts on the chase? Nope. I think we got everything. Uh, Jimmy? Um, just a note that when the Daleks are talking about the doctor and his group, uh, they don't seem to display awareness that the doctor is not a human. They'll talk about the humans, um, and, and including the doctor in that. And they'll also talk about the TARDIS as the earth time machine. Mm-hmm. And so they, they don't display a clear awareness of the fact the doctor is not a human, that he's from another planet and so forth. Yep. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. I mentioned, uh, I, I noticed that too. Uh, I also noticed that uh, Ian was reading a book, a uh, science fiction book, uh, mm-hmm. in the beginning yep. of the thing, the Monsters from Outer Space, which was a science fiction book, which he uh, he he uh, kind of dismissed as uh, lacking believability. Which <laughs> well, he said it was. He said it was okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was kind of fun. Um, all right, let's get to our listener feedback. Our first feedback comes from. Uh, 
uh, your your username doesn't have many vowels, so I'm going to try to do the best I can. F. Tumshuk, uh via YouTube, uh, comments on our episode 288, The Caretaker, uh, and says, I'm pretty sure that Courtney Woods's name is a tribute to the Brigadier and Sergeant Benton, played by Nicholas Courtney and John Woods, respectively, which is a, hmm. probably, you're right. I think that's be. too much of a coincidence there. Uh, our next feedback comes on episode 260 called Hide. Dean sent this email. Uh, in episode 260, the subject of ghost hunting and paranormal investigation came up, and I was wondering why no mention was made of what an exorcist might make of ghost hunting in real life. I've heard one say that ghost hunting can open one up to demonic activity, including possession. Uh, Jimmy, you and I talked about several of these <laughs> ghost hunting and mm -hmm. uh, demonic activity in a few episodes of uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Yeah, so um, I, I guess there are a number of things to say. Um, the first one is I tend to look at phenomena through the lens of that they present themselves. So when I when when Doctor Who covers ghost hunting, my first thought isn't, what would an exorcist say about this? Because exorcists are not experts in ghost hunting. Um, right. That's not what they're trained in. Um, and if if you heard an exorcist say that um, ghost hunting can lead you to being possessed, well, I mean, there's always anything you do, a demon could show up and could, you know, try to mess with you and end up possessing you. But the odds are so low that um, we don't need to be paranoid about it. And that's true even with ghost hunting. Now, there's a lot of irresponsible ghost hunting that you see on so-called reality TV shows where they hype up the drama and it's all ridiculous. And that's not actually serious paranormal investigation. If you If you look at what actual paranormal investigators do, they don't end up getting possessed. So um, it, this, is, this is like bear attacks. Bears are real. They're out there in the world. They may attack you if you're around them, but you don't need to be paranoid about this. And the same thing. Demons are real. They're out there in the world. They may attack you and try to possess you. But the odds are so low that unless you're, it's like unless you're going into a bear-infested area, you don't have to worry about it. Unless you're invoking demons, you don't. Mm. You, you, the odds of 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 having extraordinary as a demonic phenomena, as opposed to just temptation, are so low that you don't need to be paranoid about it. And if you want more information about demons and when it's reasonable to diagnose a demon as responsible, check out episode one eighty eight of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, you can go to it at mysterious.fm slash 188. Mm -hmm. So, and then Dean also continues, my wife and I are Catholics and have been listening to SQPN shows for a while now. It's always great when Dom looks for Christological moments in TV shows and movies and when Jimmy analyzes a character's ethics. Data is a toaster was hilarious and changed <laughs> how I thought about TNG. Data is a it, toaster, yeah. Yes, he yeah. is a toaster. Uh, he probably does make good toast. It would be awesome if you guys could also give listeners a heads up about content in shows that we might want to avoid, including whether the series you discuss have graphic gore, sex scenes, explicit nudity, or deal with issues such as sexual and gender identity that we may not be interested in seeing, or in the case of parents, letting children see. Most of your listeners are probably Catholic anyway, and you regularly have priests on your shows. You're in a great position to give us your perspectives 
on how to handle shows with troubling content. For example, is it enough to skip bad episodes? And when we should consider not watching certain shows at all, you'd be doing a lot of us a big service, and I'm sure I wouldn't be the only one who would appreciate it. So I think we try to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't do it every single time because it, it, I mean, it's kind of like you see content warnings on some shows today, and they're ridiculous. They'll say, like, Mm -hmm. Smoking, drinking, blah, 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 blah. It's like, do, do we really need a warning that people are going to smoke <laughs> in this or, or drink in this? And it, it distracts from, it makes it sound like if you focus on those, if you do that kind of micro level content warning, it makes it seem like it's a much bigger element than right. it actually is. And so if there's a brief woke cultural reference, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not I, I, I tend not to pounce on it because right. it's just a brief little. Yeah, they're virtue signaling their wokeness. And I'm not happy about that. But it's such a small element that um, it would it would miscommunicate to our audience that it's a bigger thing than it is if right. we really dwelt on that. And so what my understanding of our philosophy is, yeah, we do talk about, um, you know, woke themes and stuff like that and objectionable content, but in more general terms and when it's bigger. Right. Um, like if, uh, you know, we talked about Yaz and what's going on with her and the 13th Doctor. Um, we, we on Star Trek, we've mentioned, you know, you're going to have all this unfamily-friendly content in Star Trek Discovery, which eventually led us to stop talking about Star Trek mm-hmm. Discovery. Mm. But uh, my sense is that we're trying to give an impression, uh, but not trying to exaggerate either. Right. Yeah. We're not really here, you know, at StarQuest. It's not our our mission isn't to, you know, just, you know, to warn people against content. You know, we Mm -hmm. figured that if you're listening to it or watching it or that sort of thing. Uh, we want to just have a conversation with you about it. We'll talk about anything problematic, but you know we're not. Our, our mission isn't to be the the warning, you know, uh, gatekeeper to warn people away from yeah. things. We're not but, a content yeah. screening well, service. That's right. And you know, and speaking for myself, I don't want to talk about it because that's yeah. all you hear out there. You go, you watch other reviews; they talk about it. You watch the news; it's talked about. You you know, popular media, everything. You know, it's just like. Can we just not talk about the story itself and the right. good parts of the story and the parts of the story we think are worth focusing on? Yes, as as Jimmy said, the three of us had a discussion and we consciously said we are not going to talk about Discovery season four. We are done with Discovery, mostly because, because of this. We weren't enjoying it, <laughs> and we weren't enjoying it because yeah. it was too much. It was it was so much yeah. a part of the DNA of the series. We we're just like, no, we can't do this. Now, Strange New Worlds came out, and we've. I think the three of us can unilaterally say we enjoyed Strange New Worlds. I think we've all well, said that at one point or another. All of us who have seen Strange New Worlds, maybe. Well, the three of us. Of the three of three us. Of us. The I three of us. I have not seen said. anything but Strange New Worlds. Oh, sorry, Strange New Worlds. I was thinking Stranger Things. Never mind. Oh, no, no, right. no, 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 no. Right, right. Strange uh, New Worlds. No, the three, three of us, I think, you know, maybe we might disagree how much we liked it but i think all three of us in, very much enjoyed strange new worlds yeah. yeah you know and we're more than happy to talk about it as we did right so uh in general we i think when problematic stuff shows up in things we'll we'll mention it um it comes up 
we I don't think, especially in these two shows, you know, uh, Secrets of Doctor if, Who or if, Secrets if of Star rises, Trek. If it rises to a certain level, we'll talk yeah. about it. But if it's just a minor little throwaway thing, we may not mention it. Right, mm-hmm. right. But it, if it becomes a problematic thing where we think that maybe people might be disturbed by it, you know, uh, you know, at a certain level, um, then we, we might yeah. bring it up. So, uh, but I, actually, I want to. I, yeah, I was gonna say I was trying to think on since with Doctor Thirteen, there's one point where I kind of I during an episode episode did say you know this probably is not for kids, parents. You probably don't want your kids to see this. Yeah, there's a, you know, and, so we will yeah. do it. We'll do it we'll when do we it. feel it's necessary. Yeah, but thank you, Dean, for for that. And we'll 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 yeah. uh, we'll we're always you know looking at how we do things and 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 that sort of thing. Yep. So uh, that that's a good reminder for us to to take stock. So that does it for our listener feedback. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Penelope W., Jonathan L., Pam, Vincent D., and Paul L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this show for us. That's it from us. What did you think of The Chase, this first Doctor story? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the very worst 12th Doctor story, <laughs> kill the moon oh, shoot me now oh, do we have to <laughs> until then jimmy aiken thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of doctor who i'll get you for this dom <laughs> <laughs> i'm not the one who wanted to do the 12th doctor again i'll have it on the record father Corey stiga thank you as well and this is where i'm putting the content warning for the next secrets of doctor who <laughs> don't listen to it <laughs> thanks no, dom <laughs> I, I would say If you enjoy our pain, which you probably will, definitely listen to the next one. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, what's that awful noise? Awful noise indeed. I could charm the nightingales out of the trees. (laughs) 